Oh, what a blessing I've been looking forward to being with you. <laughs> and, um, oh my gosh, such a great time for us to be gathering and doing this work together. I'm so excited about this direction that we're going. I'm really feeling the awakening and the ascension happening <clears throat> for all of us. Uh, what a great community call last weekend. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about community calls here once we get started. And uh, oh, what a blessing we are to each other. I'm so grateful. Uh, yeah. So let's turn within. Um, just taking these breaths. Sorry, a slight distraction. I, uh, when you travel around a lot, you don't always get your own space. <laughs> it's good, though. It sharpens the mind and many opportunities to release opinions and judgments. Living with others, it definitely is the fastest path. <laughs> So we're on that fast path, and we're moving with lightning speed into the light of our own being. As I was saying in the Living a Course of Miracles class last week, and in the, no, I guess it was the week before, and in the Masterful Living class, we are the light, and the light cannot be sullied or dirtied in any way, it can be blocked and filtered. So we are remembering ourselves as that pure light of love, allowing our minds to open to the Holy Spirit, to the I am that I am, allowing our minds to open to the Master Teachers, Jesus, Master Saint Germain, Master Katumi, the great teachers of our age. We're opening our hearts to that divine love, which is the Divine Mother. Truly embracing our Mother, Father, God nature. And so as we're moving into this heart space, breathing in the unlimited love of God into our awareness, breathing it right into that heart chakra, absorbing and assimilating the Divine Mother love. And with each exhalation, expressing, sharing that Divine Mother love. So with each breath, inhaling 
absorbing, assimilating, exhaling, expressing, sharing. Inhaling, absorbing, and assimilating, exhaling, expressing, and sharing. Inhaling, absorbing, and assimilating, exhaling, expressing, and sharing. Divine love opening our heart to that return. Of our Christ in nature, we're learning to value that which we have not valued. Replacing in our minds the idea that the world is valuable, things of the world, a more beautiful body, even a healthier body, really giving up all value in this world and valuing that Christ awareness, which is our resurrection, which is our renewal, which is our liberation, our restoration, transfiguring divine love. So we're allowing transfiguration to happen, that renewal in the spirit. So grateful to open ourselves to this awareness of our healing. Mm. So we're calling upon the company of heaven, the Christ Consciousness Mentors, the Karmic Board, all that is holy, the Ascended Masters and the Archangels, the gods and goddesses of love and wisdom and freedom and truth, the entire company of heaven to support us in remembering our true identity we are gratefully and willingly partnering up with the higher Holy Spirit Self. The beloved I am that I am is the I am presence of all beings. We're surrendering all blocks to love, known and unknown, felt and not felt, seen and not seen, heard and not heard, recognized and unrecognized. We're consciously opening to the power and the presence of perfect love. What joy. So grateful. So grateful to open ourselves to liberation, ascension, awakening. Coming out from among them. And what I know for each and every one of us is that we're all called and we're all worthy of our calling. And we do not have to do anything. We are giving all the heavy lifting to the Holy Spirit. And we are opening our hearts and minds to be divinely guided and led in each moment. Surrendering the blocks to love. No longer cherishing and valuing the attachments, the cravings the aversions, the addictive compulsive tendencies and temptations, allowing the mind wandering to cease and desist and to keep our attention stayed on love.
light, seeing the light in ourselves and in everyone else. So grateful. So grateful. In grace and gratitude, we share the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. So grateful to let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. Hmm. So I'm going to unmute everyone uh, right now. Here we go. Unmute it. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week um, in Unveiled Mysteries. I I love reading and rereading these parts of this book. They are just so clear to me and so well simply articulated. And uh, before we do that, I would like to have a uh, slight discussion, uh, or put it out there um, once again about possibly changing the community call time. So considering everybody's unmuted, Peter, you've got a, a little scratchiness there. Um, I'm mute myself. Okay, cool. And um, so, um, as someone pointed out, uh, now that the weather is nicer, uh, there are seem to be fewer people showing up on the community call. Though last week was uh, pretty pretty juicy, and we will be combining with MLC two uh, a bit later in the year. However, people, you are always welcome to join the MLC2 community call and contribute fully to that. Um, I, I always encourage that. And then um, the question is, would you like to change your community call to another day and time? And um, I'll put a a survey in the Facebook group, but I just thought we could take a couple of minutes to discuss it here. Any thoughts about that? <laughs> I think that's a good idea, Jennifer. All right. Um, my sense is that there aren't that many people on the West Coast in MLC 2 and 3. I know we've got Julie here. She's in Oregon. And um, Allison, uh, so she's Pacific. Allison is, I think, uh, she's um, in Colorado, which uh, is an hour later than Pacific. So I don't know about... Um, doing a call on Sunday, doing it earlier, or perhaps doing it in an evening. So if you have anything you want to, what would be your ideal if you want to put that forth? Anybody? I'd kind of prefer an evening. This is Julie. Okay, great. An evening. And if you were going to pick an evening, which evening of the week? 
oh, um, maybe Wednesdays. All right. Anybody Mondays else? Mondays or Wednesdays. Okay. Mondays wouldn't work because the, unless we used a different system, which you, we could use the TalkShoe system, but you can't call in on TalkShoe on Skype. I mean, you can dial a Skype phone number uh, to get into TalkShoe, but you can't Skype into TalkShoe like the way you can with um, InstaTeleSeminar. But because the uh, InstaTeleSeminar is being used on Mondays for uh, MLC1, couldn't have it at the same time. Wednesday sounds good to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're going to put a survey on there, right, Jen? Yeah. Yeah. It certainly shouldn't hinge on my vote, but I would probably never or very seldom be available in the evenings. Okay. That's just not my thing, but but obviously it shouldn't, you know, be just where I'm at. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that begs the question, does it have to be consistently at one time, or could we alternate? Could alternate. Does it have to be in one box all the time? No. Could alternate between Sunday mornings, maybe? Because uh, then you could have it earlier, if you wished, than um, the later time on Saturday that it is now. Jennifer, this is Rich. I mean, Karen and I are going to be on the road for the next number of months, so it probably doesn't make that much difference to us it'll be we'll just have to work our way around it okay uh, is, but we'll, we'll do our best to be on okay kathy you want to pipe in at all oh, you're muted out self-muted can unmute you. I'm not sure if you want to say anything. Am I off mute? There you are. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Because my phone says I'm muted every time I try to get off mute. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I can't get off mute. Um, uh, I'll go with however the group goes because I um, I won't probably be on night calls because I often listen to the other class and then I have other commitments. But I'll just kind of like Karen and Rich. I'll try to come when I can. I would vote for early, but earlier, but Sundays don't really work for me. So it, I'm happy with however the community decides. Okay. Well, I'll put it in the Facebook group. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Thanks, Kazi. All right. Anything anybody else would like to uh, bring up before we uh, move on? All right. Uh, yeah, just one general question, Jennifer. Mm -hmm. Just just so I can sort of schedule my reading kind of activity. Um, approximately when do you think we're going to start talking about the um, – oh, geez. Um, <laughs> senior brain freeze. Um, Jill Goldsmith. Sorry. 
Um, yeah, you know, uh, it, in uh, May, we're going to start alternating between uh, – I don't know that we're going to have a huge amount of discussion about Joel's book, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'd like to start that next week. Okay. Have you read it? No, no, I haven't yet. And I'm involved with some other stuff, so I just and I knew it's coming up, so I wanted to make time for it. Yeah. And when well, I you know what? Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. You know what? I'm going to make it two weeks then, okay, and then cool. that gives you a couple weeks. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and it's it's an easy read. Mm-hmm. It's a very you know because it's really the story of his life. Right. Uh, and so. Uh, but of course, there's a lot of truth teaching in it, and uh, yeah, I'm excited. Has anybody read that book yet? I have. Yeah. I've read about you... half of it. Yeah. Uh, Bojena, what what did you think? I was not very happy with it. I would have preferred because I kept asking myself, "All right, all right, so tell me already what the secret is." It, it, the book keeps referring. To it, uh, I did uh, realize that I had his book uh, called Entitled Practicing the Present. Oh, that's a wonderful book. And I found that to be more satisfying. Mm-hmm. But that's just my own right. my mistake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's a totally different experience. Yeah, totally different reasons for reading it. and. Um, yeah, I was uh, thinking about having us read um, The Art of Spiritual Healing, perhaps later in the year, which is uh, one of Joel's books, um, along with the MLC2 folks, later in the year. So That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's such a great mind and a great teacher in so many ways. So it's more about just seeing another person's authentic spiritual journey, uh, someone whose mind was extremely dedicated. And so, Rich, how have you enjoyed it so far? Or not? Uh, I read it, uh, at least I'm looking at it, I've got it in my hand here. I read about oh, maybe two-thirds of I was on vacation in Park City. And I, I found it very interesting, just as you said, to follow someone's life. I didn't find it like learning much content stuff, but it was um, it was fascinating. I didn't know anything about him at all. I'd never mm-hmm. heard of him until you gave that. So mm-hmm. it, it was interesting to me. And then I went off to the Baja for some other kind of thing, and <laughs> uh, and I did, <laughs> and I and I set it aside. So I have to come back to it, I guess, and finish it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great mind. I had a wonderful conversation about him with uh, David Hoffmeister in New York. And um, so I, I look forward to being able to discuss it uh, with everyone. But like I said, I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time on it. It's not a big book. It's an easy read. It's about the same size, I think, as Unveiled Mysteries. And I, I will say this much, Jennifer. It was sort of inspiring in the in the sense that one of the things that I'm trying to pay attention to more and more is is just waiting for guidance and following that guidance, even if you don't understand or it doesn't make sense or sort of goes against your ego, I guess. But it, you know, he took those made decisions based on his guidance to change his life dramatically, and uh, so that was inspiring to me. 
Exactly. I, I read it the first time when I was in, uh, I think, in pre-practitioner training. So back in the 90s, it, it had a profound impact on me as just an example of someone who can train their mind and really apply the teachings in a profound way and how much benefit it brings. So um, because at that time in my life, I I had a, uh, an example, I had the example of Michael Beckwith, but Michael Beckwith, while he was inspiring to me, and uh, I, I didn't see him evidence the kind of dedication and devotion and um, practice that Joel had. And so, and I think my, for me personally, my... My yearning to uh, have that kind of teacher brought me to Venerable, and, and which also brought me to the Course. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but to, and uh, and also to Phineas Quimby, which uh, I we we may or may not discuss Phineas Quimby. Um, this, have I ever? Have you ever heard me talk about Phineas Quimby? Anybody? Nope. No, I've never heard of him. Yeah. So, well, this might be something for us to just have a little conversation about here. Um, I, uh, I, one of the things that really inspired me in my training uh, prior to becoming a, a practitioner a science of mind practitioner. Now, Joel Goldsmith was a Christian science practitioner. And um, so it's a little, I'll give you a little lesson here in the history of the New Thought movement, which I believe that A Course in Miracles is part of that New Thought movement. Uh, Some people call it New Thought Ancient Wisdom. So um, back in, uh, gosh, was it the 16 or 1700s? I can't remember now. There was a man named Swedenborg in in Europe who was uh his mind was really opened. He he uh was kind of a Saint Germain uh figure. Uh and um and then the next sort of bringing forth of that kind of consciousness in the western world that people are really aware of was a man named Phineas Quimby. So Phineas Quimby, like Ernest Holmes, who founded Science of Mind, came from a small town in Maine. Apparently, Maine's got some hotbed of things because you think of Gary being in Maine and uh, Mary Baker Eddy and Phineas Quimby and Ernest Holmes all uh, living in Maine. And I I lived in Maine on an island there where my parents have a home for a number of years, and it was completely life-transformative to me. So there's something about being, I think, out in the wilderness, being isolated that can be very helpful. And um, so Phineas Quimby uh, became famous around the 1860s, same time as Ralph Waldo Emerson, when at the height of Ralph Waldo Emerson's fame and popularity, Phineas Quimby was even more well-known, or certainly as well-known, if you can imagine. Um, 
so everybody know who Ralph Waldo Emerson was? The the author. Anybody not know anything about Ralph Waldo Emerson? Well, he's he's often quoted. He was part of the transcendentalist movement that came up in the 1800s, and you can think of um, Henry David Thoreau and many of those great thinkers, including Emerson, Emerson and Thoreau, perhaps being two of the great um, transcendentalist thinkers uh, there in New, New England. Um, um, Margaret Fuller, um, those might be the most famous three. Um, beautiful writing, beautiful writing. I uh, can think of Walden Pond as being probably one of the most famous works, Henry David Thoreau's um, uh, was his essay on self-reliance. I studied all that in college. Anybody else study that? Okay. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> um, so, uh, Phineas Quimby, right in that time, the 1860s, right around in there, he, well, maybe a few years earlier, he living in this small town in Maine. He was, I believe, a clockmaker. And um, he went to a lecture about the uh, teachings of Charles Mesmer, who was bringing forth this, what would you call it, technique called mesmerism. Mesmerism. And so I uh, went to a lecture where a de demonstration of someone being mesmerized, or you could say hypnotized, and how they were able to, under the mesmerism, able to access divine mind and insight, intuition, information in the divine mind or in the fourth dimension, fifth dimension, awareness. And Quimby became fascinated by that, and he started practicing what he had witnessed on um, a friend, an acquaintance that he knew, who seemed to be very susceptible to it. I guess he practiced it on a number of people, and he found this one guy, I can't th think of his name, who um, was able to go right under and be able to literally um, read from the, like, the Akashic Records. Uh, and uh, so they began to do this work together. And then Quimby began to realize, I could train my own mind to tune in to that same level of insight and awareness. And uh, particularly what they were interested in was they were getting information or insight or guidance about how to cure different illnesses. And um, so what happened was Quimby trained his own mind to be able to do that, and he, people began to come to him and ask for guidance about how to heal their illnesses. Now, this is a time when 
you know, doctors didn't know much about anything really. And so here he could say, try this herb, try this thing. Uh, you know, people are talking about leeches and bleeding people and doing all kinds of crazy medical, so-called medical techniques. And he's offering solutions that have to do with working in the mind or working with natural solutions, very simple things that people could do. And he began to recognize that all illnesses were a result of uh, the mind and thought patterns in the mind. And the way he was able to view them was in their concretized uh, effect. And so um, there's a, a book where they gathered his lectures and his letters. He refused to write a book. And what he began to, Quimby really became a student of Jesus, and he studied very closely the teachings of Jesus. Though he thought, he believed, he said religion and medicine are humbug. He had, he just thought they were, um, the worst. But he was very interested in the teachings of Jesus. So he began practicing what he was discerning from the teachings of Jesus about working with the mind, about forgiveness, and um, about the oneness. And he began experimenting. And so it was a time when, uh, you know, there's no, no telephone, no automobiles. Uh, and so people would write letters to him and say, this is my illness, this is my situation, will you help me? So he did all, pretty much all of his healing, he did it remotely because he was only working at the level of the mind. And so he would make appointments with people and he, they would correspond by letter back and forth and agree on a time and a day. And Quimby would say, at that time and day, Become very still, you know, lie on your bed, sit in your chair, and don't move. And I will come visit you remotely through the power of the mind, and I will observe what's going on with you. And if I can assist you in any way, I will. So he would literally project his mind there to where the person was, and he would see, oh, they have this thought pattern operating in their awareness, and it's creating their paralysis. It's creating their breathing problem. It's creating whatever it was creating or making, as the Course in Miracles would say, in this world. And so he would literally, with his mind, same as Joel Goldsmith, working at, same as Jesus, working at the level of the mind, he would so clearly become aware that it was an illusion, it was a projection, that it was no thing that had no power, that it would eliminate it from the consciousness of the human race, the consciousness of that person. And so uh, he was famous for healing people, uh, and uh, he did it, um, the majority of it, he just did remotely because he was always only working at the level of the mind, though sometimes he would suggest, like I said, plant medicine and different things that people could do to, to help shift things. Um, they might have allergies, they, that something that, that the body was reacting to occasionally and things like that. So um, 
And I mean, things literally like, um, I remember one, there was one series of letters where there was someone who had been in their bed sick for 10 years or more. And, and they just were bed bound. And he went, did the remote viewing and healing, and they got up and they were fine. After 10 years of being bedridden, they were fine. And so, as you can imagine, at that time, it was so astounding. News traveled like wildfire, and he became very famous. And um, isn't it interesting that nobody knows who he is? Now, let me just tell you, my friends, if you think that that's because uh, people aren't interested in healing, well, that's insane. People are profoundly interested in healing. But the pharmaceutical companies, the uh, the medical associations, the insurance companies, all the people that profit in billions of dollars from people being sick and having illness and needing care, uh, the billions and billions of dollars that are generated by that. There is an oppression of this teaching because what Quimby taught was you can heal yourself. That's what Jesus taught. You can heal yourself. All healing is at the level of the mind. It's free. You don't need anyone's permission and you actually don't need anyone's help. Though it can be helpful to do as we are doing, which is to join together and to to do it together, to support each other and not giving up uh, or or not being distracted. So, uh, if, if, if there's, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist person because I know there are conspiracies that are criminal in their intent. And uh, I absolutely know that there there is a, a group of people who are working together globally to suppress that which brings benefit to humanity to keep their position of financial power and control. And I have there's no question in my mind that that is operating. And I'm not interested in working at the level of form in changing that. I'm interested in working at the level of the mind. And so that's why my, the focus of my life is my liberation and sharing what I am finding liberating with others who are also interested in liberating from that oppression. And so, and that was what Quimby was interested in. And that's why he never really wrote a book. He, he, he did some occasional lec lectures. So his legacy is his actual letters with the actual patients and um, with the occasional lectures. And they're all compiled in a book called the Quimby Manuscript or scripts, manuscripts. Now, Quimby, uh, someone who came to his lectures and then came to see him privately, was Mary Baker Eddy. She was the founder of Christian Science. And she had healing 
because of her work with Quimby. He, you could say he healed her and taught her how to heal her own mind. It, it blew her mind, and she became uh, completely devoted to doing this work. And she uh, started the Christian Science Church. She wrote, um, what is it, Science and Health was her big book which is like the Christian Science Bible. And then um, one of her protege was a woman named Emma Curtis Hopkins, who also has fantastic, beautiful books on mysticism, uh, if you're interested. And Emma Curtis Hopkins uh, had a falling out with Mary Baker Eddy. Nobody really knows what happened, but something happened that Mary Baker Eddy kicked her out of the Christian Science Church, uh, never spoke of her again. And uh, Emma Curtis Hopkins went on to start her own uh, teaching ministry and wrote a number of books. And she had as her uh, students the Fillmores, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, uh, and I think Emily Cady, too, who's a great unity uh, teacher, uh, prolific author. Um, so the Fillmores, uh, they went to uh, Emma Curtis Hopkins for healing, physical healing, and they they found it by working at the level of the mind that blew their minds. They started the Unity Churches. And then uh, Ernest Holmes found Emma Curtis Hopkins as well, blew his mind, and he started the Science of Mind Teachings. So um, that's the history of New Thought uh, until um, Course in Miracles. Now there's there's also Divine Science, but Divine Science uh, was similar to Christian Science and Science of the Mind. Or, um, uh, science of the Mind became that that organization founded by Ernest Holmes. Ernest Holmes was teaching practitioners, just like Mary Baker-Eddy was teaching practitioners, uh, and that's what they all called themselves. Joel Goldsmith was a Christian science practitioner until he quit the Christian Science Church because he felt their teachings were, uh, well, the organization was limited uh, in their thought. So he went off and started uh, what he called the Infinite Way teachings. And... um, Ernest Holmes, he was training practitioners in the science of mind teachings. He uh, did not want to start a church because, like many of the others, going back to Quimby, they felt that churches then uh, became too limited and uh, political, and uh, he didn't he didn't want to have anything to do with churches. But as soon as Ernest Holmes died. Uh, and I forget exactly when that was, maybe the 60s, early 60s. He, um, the the organization uh, became, uh, they said, oh, now we can have churches. <laughs> so that's what they did. So they started having churches, and then there, it, the organization became uh, divided into two schools, one that wanted to be a teaching ministry and one that wanted to focus more on, um, I'm trying to remember now, do 
remember those details of the fight. But there was a big split, and what happened was the the science of mind people became um, what did they become? Can't remember now. But the Church of Religious Science was one arm, and so there was religious science and science of the mind, two different organizations based on the teachings of Ernest Holmes. So um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to add in there. But these are the, the great metaphysical minds uh, from America in the 18th and uh, rather the 19th and 20th century. Um, so we may or may not go into them. I feel uh, the ones I feel most interested in to me are Quimby and Goldsmith. Uh, so, but I've just given you a long list of there's Charles Fillmore, Emily Cady, Emma Curtis Hopkins, Mary Baker Eddy, uh, Ernest Holmes, all great teachers. Um, for me, however, uh, I, I, I love Goldsmith because he's giving you uh, exactly the things that he did. He's sharing it with you, the things that he did, the insights that he had, and how he applied them with great success. You know, and as as he talks about in um, his autobiography, well, it's really a biography, co collected uh, writings and teachings of uh, Goldsmith uh, by his basically lifelong uh, secretary, who it's it's mostly just transcription from his own work, but she she put it all together, Lorraine Sinclair, in the, in the spiritual journey of Joel Goldsmith. Uh, He's he's really sharing with you his whole life and journey and how his mind opened up in a lot of ways, and and the great benefit that he was able to bring because of it. So we'll we'll dive into pieces of that that for me were um, really helpful and healing to to know about um, and to to tune into his consciousness. And we may or may not read one of his books. Um, he was prolific, extremely prolific, and uh, I uh, I started collecting first editions of his books, and uh, I love them. They're always worth dipping into because he really was such an absolutist, absolutely interested in the truth and nothing but the truth, and uh, and Quimby was so clear, his mind was so clear. Uh, it's fascinating. So sometimes it, for me, I experience it as deeply healing to hear or read a story of someone's healing. There's something about it energetically that wakes my awareness up. And... Um, so uh, for me, reading books by people who their mind is very awake, it activates things in my awareness. Whereas 
been a long time. Like I've never read a book by Wayne Dyer. I've back in the day I used to enjoy listening to his talks, but Wayne Dyer's not awake. And uh, he, you know, when he had a crisis in healing, he goes to other people who are more awake than him to help him. Same with, you know, other people who are famous teachers. And, uh, but Quimby, he did it on his own. Goldsmith did it on his own. There's something about the person who's really looking to have the healing in their own mind and who's experiencing the awakening that that brings. People who profoundly hunger after the truth and put it first and foremost are, to me, the very best teachers. And that's who I'm interested in. Not someone who has a great turn of phrase or... um, Like, I enjoyed Marianne Williamson's book, what was that book? Based on A Course of Miracles. I can't remember what it was called. Return to Love. Return to Love. I enjoyed that when I read that, maybe 20 years ago or whenever it was. And um, I thought, oh, this this is good stuff. Um, but um didn't have the kind of awakening insight that I had reading Quimby, Goldsmith, um, and these these teachings of the masters. So one of the reasons why I, I like this book and was led to it, uh, I totally felt spiritually led to Unveiled Mysteries when I was beginning to work with Master St. Germain, um, because you can feel Godfrey, uh, his hunger and thirst for knowledge, for truth. And it obviously it leads him to um, St. Germain, to Manchester, to St. Germain. And his mind is clear enough that he is able to have real insight and to write it down. So um, I think the same is true of Patricia Cota Robles and with um, Aurelia Louise Jones, that uh, they're Aurelia's channeling, but you really get the sense that this is also her awareness. It's not just that. Some people can channel, like Helen Schuchman. She channeled, and uh, as uh, John Mundy was talking about in the Living a Course in Miracles class, or maybe it was in New York at the conference, um, he was saying that, you know, Helen wasn't living it. She didn't believe it. And yet she's getting all this insight from Jesus, Jesus speaking to her every day, all day long. And she's still suffering, still struggling, still really struggling. And she said to him, you know, what can I do to end my suffering? And Jesus said to her, do the course. Do it. Live it. Just don't write it down. Actually apply it. 
And um, she wasn't fully willing to do that. She didn't have that willingness. Whereas Bill Setford did. So if you look at video of Bill Setford, you know, he's he's waking up. He's getting it. To the point where he, I love the story of, there, he was in a study group and they were arguing over some passage and he said, don't argue over it. Just rip it out of the book. Who cares? Move on. It's not worth arguing about. Don't let your mind become divisive. So, you know, that, that to me is a true teacher. No attachment to the words on the page that he labored to bring forth. I mean, that is a clear mind, right? So, um, but for me, our work here, it's not about studying all these great teachers. It's about allowing our awareness to join with theirs because there's one mind. And for us to become as willing as they, to become as willing as Jesus. You know, so that that's what was interesting to uh, Goldsmith, to Quimby, to Mary Baker Eddy, Emma Curtis Hopkins, Ernest Holmes, was to align with that complete and total willingness. So... Any books that I choose, it's about helping us to be more inspired, to choose to align with inspiration. We don't need any more information. So that's why the books that I choose, they're not about information. They're about teaching the truth. And in Unveiled Mysteries, here, uh, this this part that I think is one of the most critical things that we can ever ever learn in our spiritual journey, and and it's uh, the, this passage begins really at the bottom of page ten, where he's saying the eternal law of life is that whatever you think and feel, you bring into form. Where your thought is, there you are, for you are your consciousness. And whatever you meditate upon, you become. So for me, I used to literally, in a sense, meditate on thoughts of revenge. I used to meditate on thoughts of lack and limitation. And that was my experience, was that I was feeling attacked, and I was feeling lack and limitation all of the time. Now, it says here, when one allows his mind to dwell upon thoughts of hate, condemnation, lust, envy, jealousy, criticism, fear, doubt, or suspicion, and allows these feelings of irritation to generate within him, he will certainly have discord, failure, and disaster in his mind, body, and world. As long as he persists, in allowing his attention to be held by such thoughts, whether they be about nations, persons, places, conditions, or things, he is absorbing those activities into the substance of his mind, his body, and his affairs. In fact, he is compelling, forcing them into his experience. 
So let us pause here. This is about the responsibility. I am responsible for everything I see, and everything is just as I wish it would be to condense that te teaching on responsibility for sight, page 448 in the text that you hear me endlessly refer to. So let's take a moment here and just think about, in, let's pick one thing in your life that is agitating to you, consistently agitating frustrating, bothersome, irritable, irksome, uh, depressing, despairing, saddening, angering, something that you're experiencing about which these are the feelings that are generated, so it seems. And let's just talk about them. So, uh, I just if, if if I would like to ask everyone to just give two or three sentences about that thing in their life that they're still feeling this way about, because we're gonna we're gonna bring it to the light, and we are going to put our attention on it so it can be healed. So, what is the thing that you would like to have a healing around, and that you're you're willing to bring to the light? So I'm just going to, who would like to go first? Julie. Julie would like to go first. That's my sense of it. So everybody's unmuted. You might have self-muted, except for Kazi. Kazi's muted. Julie, would you be willing? Either you're up oh, there. You, there's Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Peter. Yeah. Okay, Richard. Sorry, I was muted. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Julie, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, what first comes to mind is a person in my life that um, kind of is all those things or represents all those feelings of mm -hmm. frustration, irritation. Um, um, I can, you know, go through a list, laziness, um, you know, kind of the things that I sort of despise in myself or I look at myself and of course. judge, right? Mm -hmm. And so, it, and it's really interesting because, you know, I've listened to you talk and you talk about, like, you know, that you fantasize. About yep. stuff, and it, it's it's weird because something happens um, that irritates me. Like I'm in traffic. I mean, it has nothing to do with this person. And the first thing I do is I start arguing with them. Yeah. You know, in my mind, or have an argument. It's like, what the hell, right, <laughs> is going on here? And it's really weird that there's there's some really huge healing for me with this person and I know that and I'm just not sure how to get past it you know I don't know whether you know when you talk about feeling these emotions I get confused sometimes whether feeling them is in, you know and indulging them you know because people talk about 
you know, we need to feel them and bring them up and let them, in order for them to be healed. But then it, sometimes it just feels that it's it's indulgent and it's not serving me at all and it makes me, you know, I feel worse after doing that and not freer. Um, and then sometimes I just offer them to Jesus, mm-hmm. right, for healing and just don't pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. But they keep reoccurring, you know. It's this constant so, I, I you know, I'm not sure. I've, I've talked, you know, I've prayed about it, and I you know, wonder about it. I, you know, have constant conversations with Jesus about this issue or this this thing because I really understand because it is so prevalent in my mind all the time that it's um, there's a really huge healing for me here. If I could just forgive it. And here's a, a small example of um, it is this person is ill now, is getting ill. And I'm realizing, you know, a thought came to me, right? Mm-hmm. Or spoke to me and said, "You, this, this is in your mind, right? This illness mm-hmm. is in your mind. Because I'm thinking, you should do this, you should go to the doctor, you should, you know, I'm thinking all these things, right? And it came to me that it's in my mind. And I actually questioned at that point if I want to heal. If I want to help him heal, which is helping me heal. Mm. And that kind of brought up a huge question in my heart of why don't I want myself to heal? I, what what is the reluctance there? Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. where I'm sitting with it at this moment. Of what's that about? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, so, that was more than a few sentences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'd like to take off from there. If we're going, are you? Are we going like one to the other? Yeah, go ahead. But uh, you know, because. can I can I just share a little? Okay. Because uh, well, no, you go first. Go ahead. Well, you may have taken a few sentences, but your last sentence got me right between the eyes or right in my heart, which was your resistance or reluctance. receive your own healing. And I had a conversation on Monday with a prayer partner because I had an entire stretch of days that were just one extended aha experience for me. And I felt exceedingly clear and free and light. And I saw the world with with great uh, greater vividness and and interest and ease with how I was experiencing myself. And I was sharing this with a prayer partner Monday morning. And then later Monday afternoon, my wife returns home. 
And I and, and my prayer partner had asked me, well, how is this affecting your relationship with my wife? And I said, you know, I just feel really easier with her. And I, I'm not, I don't feel like she has to be any, I'm, I'm loving her as she is. I don't need her to be different for me anymore. Now, here my wife comes home after this conversation just a few hours later, and I immediately went into attack mode with my wife. And I looked at myself engaged in this attack mode crap with her, and I just said to myself, Peter, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. You just, you know, it's, and I was very sincere, you know, speaking earlier that day, I wasn't like, it wasn't like where I wished to be. It was how I was feeling, how I was experiencing myself. And then my wife comes home and the daggers came out. It was like, yeah, you know, and I just thought, I don't want to be with you. You're not good enough. I, why aren't you different? You know? And it just was an enormous amount of judgment on her, which was just coming out of a judgment that I retain against myself. And I just said, fuck, this is just, I'm so, there's just all this volatility in me. You know, it's it's as though it's it's a, you know, it's as though my spiritual journey is a roller coaster ride. And it's that I want to heal. I want, I, I, I'd like to, to be consistent. Yes, I understand. When, I, when I'm feeling clear and light and excited, I, I want to hold on to that. I want yes. that to be, I want that to be the, the lens I see, the, I experience myself with at all times. That's the vision pulling. So right there is you're in the middle of the place between the vision pulling. The vision is pulling as much as the pain is pushing. I'm so familiar with that space. I lived there for so long. Like one foot in the sewer and one foot in heaven all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you bounce back and forth between the two. Exactly. Like and you watch. Sabotage. Mm-hmm. And you, you're watching yourself choose hell when you could have heaven. Yeah. And then yeah. judging yourself for choosing hell when you could have heaven. And you know you can have heaven. You know how to have heaven. And yet you're still choosing hell and blaming it on someone else. Or feeling like a moron, an idiot, a spiritually stupid loser who doesn't deserve to have heaven because you just don't value it. At least Bingo. that's how I used to feel. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. But you see... And, and, yes, exactly. And a lot of people... Uh, never get to the point of having this conversation because this we're laughing at ourselves. We we have the humility and the willingness and the awareness to be able to laugh at it, even though maybe two hours from now we might be crying about it. At least right now we can join together in laughter. Bojena. I. I would like to add, if I may, 
a little bit of insight regarding that because that has frustrated me no end. Mm -hmm. The moment I feel lighter and I've released something and it happens now with great consistency, it won't be five minutes until my brother rings the bell ten times. And now I have an opportunity to practice. Yes. It isn't that I have lost it. I haven't lost it. Not, thankfully, our karma, what we hold, our darkness, is not released all at once. It is released bit by bit by bit. So once I have had this wonderful conversation or in prayer and I feel light and joyous, immediately something else comes along and I find myself reacting and I know I haven't, now I know, I haven't lost it. Mm -hmm. Here is an opportunity to expand and practice more deeply, know myself more deeply, apply it more deeply. That yeah. roller coaster is not a loss. Mm -hmm. It is a step forward. It is more shadow coming up for more light to be applied. Yeah. Can I be? Can I bring this new lightness, this new love, this new vision to what's in front of my nose right now? Ringing mm -hmm. the bell ten times, thinking of urine to high heaven. Can I apply it now? Do mm -hmm. I have it now? Will I remember it now? Will I keep it in my heart now? Will I give it now? Mm -hmm. Will I see it now? Mm -hmm. I haven't lost it. I mentioned this uh, to Julie the other day, this image of the well and the donkey which falls in the well. And people, the owner comes and says, oh, it's an old donkey, I can't pull him out anymore, doesn't pay. So he starts shoveling uh, soil. But all of a sudden, he sees, must see, I'm doing it my own way now, the ears of the donkey, and he says, what the heck? But the donkey has been shaking off the soil and standing on it, coming up higher and higher and higher. Mm. And that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We don't lose it. Mm -hmm. How come some donkeys just fly out of there, though? <laughs> they don't need to go through the soil part. We stand right? on some, some folks are able to just transcend. And it's, or you get to a point and there's a, a huge um, change, you know, or huge. I guess that's, I don't know. Like what we were talking about, Virginia, about ladders versus, you know, or of a lateral mm. okay. way to look at it, right? Or a horizontal way of looking at it. I don't know. There are different ways. We're all gaining momentum in different ways. 
but we are gaining momentum. Let us not yield to the temptation to think that we have failed when we have just been enlightened and bam, something new comes along. Mm-hmm. We haven't failed. Mm. So Jennifer, what was most helpful for you in these situations? What what was your tactic or you know, an actual thing that you could apply? Yeah, well, you know what? You've heard me say it many times, and uh, the thing that instantly came into my mind when you asked that question, so it feels like the the guidance to me, is I remember being in my parents' home in Maine um, when I was there living with them or visiting them when my mother was ill, and I remember getting down on my knees and saying, I will not think these thoughts. I will not entertain Mm -hmm. them. I have no interest in investing in them anymore. Higher Holy Spirit self, take them out of my mind so I never think them Mm -hmm. again. I truly, truly do not believe these thoughts. They have no value to me anymore. I, I offer them freely. I do not want them. It's, it's, it, and that's the whole teaching of A Course in Miracles is you have what you value. Everything that you have that you can see with your eyes, that you can touch with your hands and feel with your body, and that is the focus of your attention is what you value. So let me just um, further, I'm getting the guidance to read a little bit further, uh, another page in the book, okay? So it says... Um, The last sentence that I read was, as long as he persists in allowing his attention to be held by such thoughts, whether they be about nations, persons, places, conditions, or things, he is absorbing those activities into the substance of his mind, his body, and his affairs. In fact, he is compelling forcing them into his experience. So uh, actually, let me just, um, before I finish reading some more. So in the teachings of Ernest Holmes, oh gosh, we're almost at time here. Uh, In the teachings of Ernest Holmes, what he talked about was uh, that thoughts, the thoughts that we believe and that we give ourselves permission to think, to place our awareness in, our attention in, it's um, it's literally, if you think of it like it's a slide image. So you know what a slide is? You know, you project the light through the slide. You see the image on the wall. So thoughts are like slide images uh, mm-hmm. that uh, your your mind lights up with placing your attention on it, your awareness on it. And the more you invest your awareness in it and go, I like that, that's true for me, I believe that, I validate that, I invest in that, you're placing the light of your attention into it, it's going to project onto the screen of your life. And Ernest Holmes, he talked about it like the thought that you believe is a seed, 
planted in the divine mind, which is going to grow to fruition. The more you water it, the more you invest in it, it's going to grow bigger and bigger and become more and more real for you according to its nature. So if the thought is a thought of revenge, it's going to grow according to its nature. If the thought is a thought of lack, it's going to grow according to its nature. If the thought is a thought of prosperity and love, it's going to grow according to its nature. And we see, the Holy Spirit has given us in this world, we see that if we plant the seed of a lemon, it's going to grow a lemon tree. It's not going to grow a forsythia bush. It's not going to grow a poinsettia. It's going to grow a lemon tree. So a, a belief in prosperity will grow your experience of prosperity. And so Ernest talked about uh, three aspects of our human experience, divine mind, subjective mind, and the world of form. So things, we we can live by uh, divine inspiration. Remember Hugh Lynn talks about this, living from inspiration. You're at the zero state. Your mind is pure. It's empty of opinions and judgments and filters. And so divine inspiration comes through. We get inspiration to create beauty, and we create beauty. We get inspiration to create um, more love, more joy, more peace, more harmony, and it comes through and expresses through the unique, well, I'm attracted to creating beauty and love and creativity by working in the garden, and I'm attracted to doing it through making ceramics. I'm attracted by doing it in creating a loving family. You know, for me personally, it's community, creating community. So, and networking people together to find their their soulmates and their teachers and their their all of that. So, uh, planting the seed. Uh, if we're thinking thoughts that are ego-based thoughts, we're still planting seeds in that subjective mind that Ernest Holmes talked about. He talked about the subjective mind is like the soil, and you can pull the weeds up. You know, and that's what he was saying. If if you are experiencing something in form, it's because your mind, through thought and belief, created a mold for spirit to flow into, for the ethers to flow into and make manifest in the world in form. And the world of form, remember, is, is your feelings. It is your physical experience. It is the circumstances and situations of your life. And he would say, if you don't like the form you're experiencing, break the mold. Have a better mold because whatever the mold or the shape or the form is that you create mentally, spirit's going to flow into and bring it into form. That's how this world works. So, in, so break the mold, Julie. And that's what I was doing by saying these thoughts, this mold of uh, thinking that my mother should be different, I should be different, that this is bad, this is wrong, this should be different. I'm, I'm not interested in pouring my light energy into that mold anymore. I am interested in I am the bringer of light and love and peace and harmony and beauty and truth, that is the mold that I'm going to flow my awareness into. So Holy Spirit, help me unhook from the attachment 
to mentally affirming and believing these things. Now, on page 11, St. Germain says, all these discordant activities reach the individual and his world through his thought and feeling. Remember Course in Miracles. Thought and feeling combine into a power that can literally move mountains. Feeling often flashes before one is aware of the thought in the outer consciousness, which he might use to control it. And this kind of experience should teach him how great is the energy within his many creations, which has accumulated through habit. So this is what I talk about, getting in the gap. That you can, if you choose to, you can, you can live in that gap between where you are choosing the thoughts that are just, you know, uh, bombarding you from the fourth dimension uh, that, all, you know, where all the thoughts that have ever been sunk are just constantly bombarding you and they're bombarding you according to the magnetism in your belief system. So the more you believe limited thoughts, the more you're going to magnetize them into your awareness. So you can interrupt that magnetism by getting in the gap and standing like a sentinel and saying, no, 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 no. Uh, what is the thing that Gandalf says in, in um, right? You know it, Peter, what? Yeah, I know where you're going. I can't, I can't remember. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I never really read those, but spirit, you know, it's always teaching us through all these different activities. But I know when I did my um, Easter retreat a couple of years ago, there was a young man there that when I was giving this teaching, he said, ah, I know what you're talking about. It's when Gandalf said, thou shalt not pass to the, um, I guess, the monster or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. You know, thou shalt not pass. That's right. Thou shalt not pass. You know, and so when I first really began that practice in earnest, I, um, you know, it, what, it felt like I had to be like Gandalf. But then, as I was talking about in, uh, in New York uh, a couple weeks ago at the conference, I was saying I got to the point where I could just be like, I'd be cleaning my house, thoughts of, you know, unsavory thoughts, attack thoughts would come into my mind, old memories of blame and shame and stuff like that would come into my mind. And I learned to say, to shift my habit, my, my habit before was either to reject it. I don't want to think about that. No, bury that. Put that back in the garage. That goes back into storage. Or I would say, that's right. They suck. I hate them, you know, or I'm an idiot or whatever it was. So I learned to eliminate those two habits and instead to go to, I'm not interested in that anymore. I'm making a holy offering of that. Is there something for me to look at? Did I make a decision when that happened that now it's time for me to choose again? Holy Spirit, let me look at it with the eyes of love. Let me look at it with you. And then I um, 
would get so proficient at it that I could I would just say this buds for you to the Holy Spirit when these thoughts would come into my mind this buds for you the first time I was talking about that in New York we had 40 people from Japan and they had an interpreter in the room and so I had to explain to them what that meant this buds for you so um uh going back to those Budweiser commercials that were on when I was a kid so I just literally, this buds for you. Oh, here's another one. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. And um, so we get in that gap. So uh, he says here, the feeling activity of life is the most unguarded point of human consciousness. It is the accumulative energy by which thoughts are propelled into the atomic substance and thus do thoughts become things exactly what i was just saying ernest holmes taught he says i tell you the need of guarding the feeling cannot be emphasized too strongly for control of the emotions plays the most important part of anything in life in maintaining balance in the mind health in the body success and accomplishment in the affairs and world of the personal self of every individual thoughts can never become things until they are clothed with feeling mm -hmm. that's where you go that's why i teach about the divine alarm clock the smallest bit of irritation or frustration belies you are habitually moving into the ego step back thou you, thou shalt not pass it will not be allowed i will not tolerate it now we didn't get to, for everyone to share so uh and we're over time here so we will pick this up next week but i have a feeling rich has something to say do you have something to say rich uh, it'll keep. It was just a you know example that you asked for, but I've been thinking about it and working on it as we've talked. Okay. All right. Anybody have a final thought that they'd like to put into this? Great class. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here, Julie. Yes, Jennifer, if I may, just one sentence from the Seven Flames, because you said do not pass and I step back, but I needed to remember exactly where I'm stepping back. Mm. And, and here is the quote. As soon as you allow your mental and feeling world to slip outside the presence of your own love flame and divinity, you are apt to feel the impact of others who unwisely do the same. But if you live within that flame of love, you will not experience that which would throw you out of balance. And so I am feeling the pink flame in my heart and the white light over my head. And that's where I step back. And it works phenomenally well. Yeah. Beautiful. And for me, I find working with that violet flame is just all day long all night long it, it there's 
so much that just calling on the violet flame, Saint Germain, violet flame, please soak and saturate Mother Earth and all her many beings, every particle and electron of life with oceans and oceans, waves and waves of violet flame, setting all life free. So simple, and it just helps us keep our mind focused, our mind focused. As soon as we move into irritation and frustration, the violet flame goes out, we reignite it, bring it back. We're doing it. It's happening. It's really happening. So this is why uh, I'm, you know, sometimes I, I feel like some people might say, oh, you just talk about the same thing all the time. But I'm I'm thinking the same thing all the time because this is where the work is to eliminate the habitual ego attachments and to free our minds. And... um I mean, Venerable says the same thing every month, pretty much. It's just, you know, there's nothing else, you know. I, I hang out with David Hoffmeister, Re Regina, you know, these, that's all there is. There's nothing else. It's just this, going back to it again and again and again with um, more dedication, more gusto, more willingness. And to me, I'm so profoundly grateful that it works that uh, it is all I wish to talk about. I mean, sometimes it's nice to talk about what happened on Mad Men or whatever, change the topic. <laughs> but um, coming back to the healing, I'm just so grateful that we are healing. And uh, I can definitely reflect back to every single one of you as you reflect to each other all the time. Uh, we're witnessing the healing in ourselves. And, uh, and that healing comes with more and more awareness of the attachments, the cravings, the aversions that disturb our peace. And um, the, the main thing is to never, ever speak unkindly to yourself because you have an awareness of an attachment, but simply to love ourselves free of the attachment. So with our hand on our heart, we are grateful and thankful to move into our heart awareness now and forever, setting ourselves free permanently, returning to our true identity, valuing that and only that. So grateful and so thankful to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self and to let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting in all of our lives and all of our hearts and minds so grateful and so thankful to open ourselves to the unlimited flow of love knowing that that is our true nature that is our true identity and that is our destiny we're claiming it we're sharing it with everyone because we're one with them so grateful and so thankful to allow it to be, to let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to mention that we didn't really get enough mighty companions to support the whole of Masterful Living Year One. So 
if you didn't agree to be a mighty companion this year and you'd be willing to um, have a conversation just once or twice um, with someone who is struggling with this uh, in a, a new way um, and to encourage them and to let them know it could be done, it can be done, that you're doing it, it's happening, um, you can just let me know. And uh, maybe we'll get enough to really make that offering this year. That would be great. So thank you so much. I love you all so much. And I can't wait to pick this up next week. Mwah. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye, everybody.